Good morning. Glad to see you all here today. I'm glad to be here today. Finally. Yeah. Who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? We're speaking on forgiveness this morning. And yesterday at uh, 10 o'clock when I arrived at the airport in San Antonio, um, this wonderful, wonderful, uh, very effective pilot of small plane decided to land on the wrong runway, almost hit a commercial carrier, and had to lock up his brakes and catch his brakes then on fire, which caused the airport in San Antonio to be shut down. So we sat and we waited. Now, I will say this, in spite of all that, it, it was very entertaining um, watching uh, the individuals attempt to pick up said plane and put it on a truck. Um, it, it was kind of like a Three Stooges episode, uh, if you know who they are. If you don't, like, look it up on YouTube or something for you younger guys. Um, it, it was literally comical. Um, and uh, yesterday, I was nominated by someone in the San Antonio uh, airport for president. Um, because I, w- I had found a seat right at the window where they were, you know, doing this because it was the only thing to do in the airport was watch them attempt this. And the airport was not giving out very good information. So thanks to social media, I was informing all the people who were stranded in other cities that it wasn't looking very good for them either. Um, so I was nominated uh, for president um, and was asked to set up a GoFundMe account so people could buy me a drink or a coffee. Um, so that was the bright side of yesterday. The downside was I got here at about 3 o'clock this morning, um, got to bed about 3.30 after going through D.C. Uh, to get to Chicago to rent a car to drive. And it is a lovely drive at 2 in the morning from Chicago to Pekin. So I've been told. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily remember it. But since in my long journey yesterday, I have forgiven the pilot for landing on the wrong runway and wreaking havoc in so many people's lives, I can't say that everyone else um, has, but I am doing the best I can uh, to forgive him. Thank you guys, too, this morning for sharing your testimony. Um, what a beautiful picture, um, really, of what this whole thing is all about. Like, it's really hard to even speak after that, because that pretty much says it all. Um, it's amazing what God will do in us and through us if we let him. Um, but we have to be willing to let him. So this morning, forgiveness. Um, this is something that we all struggle with. And so anyone who looks at me all self-righteous this morning, I have ushers stationed throughout that I'm going to nod, and they're going to knock you in the head just so that you know um, that this too applies to you because we don't want anyone to feel like this message isn't for them this morning because it's as much for me as it is for you We all have struggles when it comes to forgiveness uh, in our hearts and our lives. If you have your Bibles this morning, Ephesians chapter number 4, I'm going to start in verse 17. I'm reading out the ESV. Yours might be a little bit different. You can follow on the screens um, if you want. Uh, Ephesians 4, 17 says, Now I say this, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding." Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. 
Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is the most spiritually crippling disease that affects the body of Christ. It is absolutely detrimental to our spiritual life and our spiritual walk. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, uh, said it like this. He said, if this is what it means, if this is Christianity, forgiving one another, where are all the Christians? You see, in our weakness, and our selfishness, our woundedness, self-righteousness, We're prone to harbor resentment and bitterness. There's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of things that we've all experienced and things that we've gone through. And it's almost astonishing, though, that in spite of that, that we as Christians that have been saved by so much grace often fail to extend grace to those who have wronged us. Now, there's no doubt that there are significant events that have happened in many of your lives this morning um, that have altered the course of your life, that have been game changers and have deeply left you wounded, hurting, and struggling. And maybe even finding it to forgive is impossible. But for the most of us this morning, our griefs are a little bit smaller than that. They're a little bit more routine. You know, the... When we have this in our life, this unwillingness to forgive, this bitterness, it's like carrying around baggage. Every day we wake up, we pick all this stuff up, we put it on, and we go through our lives with it. And those of you that are parents this morning, you have smaller children, you know anytime you go anywhere, there's one thing that you always have with you, a bag, right? And it's full of stuff, just all kinds of stuff. Um, And the only time that I don't have that bag is when my wife isn't with me. And it's just the kids. And I'm like, just get in the car. We'll deal with it. If you're thirsty, wait till we get home. (laughs) Don't tell her that. Hopefully she won't listen to this one. Um, But when she's there, you know, we're going to, uh, I don't know, an hour trip, you know, to go do some errands. And we carry enough gear for a 10-day trip. And I'm, so I always had these bags full of just stuff, cookies and crackers and 
sippy cups and water bottles and toys and cars and just books and stuff and stuff. When we come here and we travel here, my backpack is so heavy from all the garbage that the kids refuse to carry that I'm now carrying. But what's amazing is, is as those years have gone on and for some reason we're still carrying all this stuff around, um, but most of the time I'll give her credit, we need most of what she brings. But I don't even realize anymore a lot of times that I'm carrying it. That bag has just become synonymous with who I am. There's kids, there's this, and there's the bag. And it just goes on, and I just go, and I don't even realize the weight, and I don't even realize the burden that it's become because I've grown so accustomed to it. So for a lot of you today, you've been carrying around some things in your life and in your heart that you've carried for so long that you don't even remember that you have them anymore. It's just become so part of who you are that you don't remember. And some of these little things that we have in our lives are like carry-on luggage, and I can speak um, very good about this this morning. Um, when I left my house at 10 o'clock yesterday, my little carry-on roller bag was no big deal. It was perfect, convenient, the right amount of clothes fit in it. Just drag it behind you, get on the plane, put it up, sit in your seat, land in Dallas, get it out, roll to the next gate, put it above, sit, land in Peoria, put it in the car, and here we are. Simple. No. No. By the time I got to Washington, D.C. last night at 9 o'clock, I was ready to kick that roller bag across the airport. Why? Because it kept hitting the back of my shoe and then flipping over and then you're just dragging it and you're stopping. You know the drill if you've ever been in an airport. And what started out with something that wasn't that big, I had carried it for so long that it started to get in the way. Because I was tired and it just started to be a bother. I kept tripping on it. It kept flipping on me. It was altering my ability to get to my destination, my gate. And I was really tempted to leave it and wear the tracksuit that I wore on the plane yesterday this morning. (laughs) And my tennis shoes. Which I can tell you when I got here this morning, it was the greatest feeling in the world to take those off. Oh, man. This morning, I'm going to give you six keys, I think, to forgiveness that we're going to talk about. Number one, what is forgiveness? Many of us don't even know what it is. Number two, what does Jesus say about forgiveness? Three, why does Jesus care whether or not you forgive? Four, what forgiveness does to us if we keep harboring it? Number five, why do we struggle to forgive And number six, the only way to truly forgive. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to Matthew chapter number 18. And we're going to start diving into this this whole idea of forgiveness. Matthew 18, beginning verse 21, says this. Then Peter came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, for most of us, it's more than seven times. doesn't seem like a lot. But what you have to understand is, is the, the narrative in which Peter walks in with this question. According to Jewish law, you were only required to forgive someone three times. Most of us in here would be in trouble this morning. 
Three times. So Peter comes to Jesus. He's like, you know, Jesus, I've been hanging out with you for a while. I kind of get that you're, you're different. You want to expand, you know, our thinking. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to double and add one for what the law says. And that's got to be plenty. Seven times is a lot. And Jesus says, no, but 70 times seven. Okay, now, so before any of you math whizzes start going, okay, so that's 490. That's not what the point that Jesus is trying to make here. It's not a specific number. So go ahead and close your notepad and stop tallying where you're at with certain people. They might be in here. No, what Jesus is actually trying to communicate is this. He wanted to give them a number that really for their intellect and where they were at, that was a number that seemed like they couldn't even calculate it. Like, whoa, like if he said one Brazilian trillion quadrillion times. And you'd be like, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know if that's a number. It just means a lot. What Jesus was really saying was, what you have to do is you have to forgive every time. Not just sometimes, not just up to a limit, but every time. Because the Bible teaches us over and over and over again that our responsibility is to forgive the same way that we have been forgiven. Now, how many of you would like for your forgiveness from God to be measured on 70 times 7? Most of us are way done. (laughs) Most of us are probably done this week at 490, if we're really honest with each other, right? So no, that's not how we want that to go. Now, Jesus also, his great knack for telling really great stories to get his point across. We call them parables. And what he would try to do is he would try to kind of dumb everything down so that everybody in attendance could go like, oh, I see what you're saying there. Because 70 times 7, okay, yeah, what, what is he talking about? This doesn't make sense. So let's keep reading here in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start verse 23 now. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. You ever thought you had a bad day? So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summons him and said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, and he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty bold statement that Jesus makes here. Don't look at me mad. I didn't make the story up. It's just, I just have to tell it to you. But it's easy to sit here right now and go like, well, that guy was really dumb. Who would actually do that? You. That's who. 
Me. That's who. You know why? Because we've all done it. Because think of the collective amount of wrong that you've committed in your life. The sins that you've made against God. Now compare that to this thing that you're harboring. In the same way that that 10,000 talents was such a bigger debt than the 1,000 denarii, we do the same thing. God forgives us every time of all that we do. The Bible says that his mercy and his grace is new every morning. And God writes this forgiveness over our lives. And we're so happy, you know, to whistle. And and we look like Steamboat Mickey, you know, whistling and patting our foot and looking like this as we walk through life. But then the second someone grieves us, we turn into this wicked servant who's choking and demanding that payment be remade. And we forget about all that was just forgiven to us. What does it really mean to forgive someone it, from the heart? In this passage, that word forgive actually means literally to release or to let go. To release or to let go. Some of us this morning, we need to release and let go. Thomas Watson defined forgiveness as this. And this is hard. This is hard, but it's so good. We forgive others when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but we wish well to them. We grieve with their calamities. We pray for them. We seek reconciliation with them and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. You see, we don't merely forgive by avoiding revengeful thoughts. Forgiveness actually exists and it is made up of us replacing those vengeful and revengeful and anger thoughts with thoughts of good towards that person. I know. I know, it's hard. Because there's nothing that goes against human nature more than when someone wrongs you to want to do right by them. Our initial inclination is to want judgment, is to want justice, is to want righteousness, is to want you to hurt the way I hurt. And how many of you in here don't raise your hand? Because it's all of us. Have you ever looked at someone who's hurt us and they've had something happen in their life and you went, well, he got what he deserved. Yep. Or you don't really say anything, but you just kind of go when you hear, oh, that's too bad for him. <laughs> We've all been there. But really to forgive, we have to replace those thoughts with the same grace, mercy, and love that is extended to us the way God forgives us. And forgiveness also includes wishing them well and grieving with them and praying for their welfare. And here's the hardest one is seeking reconciliation. So a lot of times we don't want reconciliation. Now, forgiveness, though, is not forgetting about what has been done. You know, we have this, we have this, this saying that we like to say, oh, just forgive and forget. Well, that's just garbage. 
Number one, you're not going to forget. The Bible doesn't tell you to forget. You see, we like to sometimes, because things are clever, and we're like, oh, they both start with the letter F, and it sounds like a neat little saying. That works. Forgive and forget. And we make it like somehow we found it in here. But it's not the case. God doesn't tell us to forget about the hurt because it's impossible for you to forget about the hurt. It's impossible for you to forget about the pain that you've been through. And you're not supposed to because you're supposed to use that and the forgiveness that's been given to you and the forgiveness that you've given in that situation to use that for his glory. That's what we're called to do. Not to forgive and forget. Forgiveness means not to forget what is done. And it is not the absence of anger towards sin. Forgiveness also does not mean that you stop looking for justice. It doesn't mean that you ignore the fact that there was a wrong. It doesn't mean that you put yourself in a position to be hurt again and again and again and again. And forgiveness is rarely a one-time event. For most of us, it's going to be a daily, ongoing process that just is. You're going to have to forgive your husband a lot, wives, because we just sometimes don't get it. Likewise, husbands, you're going to have to learn to forgive your wife and to run away from situations when she uses the words, first of all. (laughs) Because that means she has a carefully laid out tactful plan of a list of grievances that are to follow. First of all, it's not a once and done situation. A first of all is that you better get to work. Prepare yourself for the worst because it's coming. First of all, the most dreaded words in, in the marriage. First of all, see, we don't think like that, guys. This is when we look like the dog. Our ears drop and we tuck our tail and we're like, we don't even have any rebuttal. I wasn't prepared for this presentation. We have to learn to forgive. What does Jesus say about forgiveness? Let's look at some things that Jesus says. And these are, these are tough this morning. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is, ta- it is hard to do. Matthew chapter number 6, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us to pray. And this is a scripture that each and every one of us, if I said, hey, everybody stand up and let's say this together, most of us in here would be able to recite this without even looking. And it's the Lord's Prayer. It says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, we all know that. We've all heard it. Paul probably recited it. You probably all were going, as I was saying it, like, yeah, I know that one. But see, that's one of those scriptures sometimes that we say so much, that we've heard so much, that it just kind of becomes like, hey, I remember the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, that's cool. But this is Jesus teaching us how we're supposed to pray every day. These are the things that we're supposed to pray about. And look at the key in here. It says this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, so the interesting thing here about the way this is worded is this says this. Every day you're supposed to ask God to forgive you. Because the Bible says his mercy is new every morning. 
But you see that next statement says, as we also. Okay, so what that means is you're already in the process of doing so. So in other words, Jesus is saying, before you come to me and ask me to forgive you for anything, you better be getting your forgiveness taken care of first to other people. In other words, before you ask from me, you better be giving it. That's what he's saying. As you are forgiving the people that are causing trouble against you, then you say, God, forgive me for the trespasses that I have against you. And the reason why is in the verses that follow. Because normally we stop here and we're like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's the Lord's Prayer. But we forget about this next little segment. And this is what Jesus says. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, I didn't write it. Stop looking at me like, well, that changes everything. Yes, it does. Jesus says that if you want forgiveness, you first have to be willing to forgive. We have to extend the same mercy, grace, and love that is being afforded to us if we're really going to be people after God's heart. And just to prove to you this, he doesn't just say this twice. Mark chapter 11. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus is so strong in these scriptures saying that if you don't do this, then you cannot have the forgiveness of God in your life. Now, some of you are saying, well, this sounds like, you know, my salvation is contingent upon what I do and what I don't do. No, no, that's not what he's saying this morning. What he's saying is, if you're going to be able to walk in the forgiveness of God, you have to first be willing to give the forgiveness of God. We try to get that backwards. We try to go, oh, I'm going to walk you know, in, in, in God's forgiveness, but we're never willing to give the same forgiveness that's being afforded to us. Why is this so important? Because Jesus knows what unforgiveness does in your life. And he couldn't be clear. If you do not forgive others, then you will not be forgiven by your Father in heaven. He's calling someone right now. Whoever you are, don't make it obvious, and no one will know it was you. I'm going to look at my paper, so I don't even know. Just giving you a hard time. We forgive you. It was well orchestrated and planned. But he couldn't be more clear. This unforgiveness keeps us from being able to receive the forgiveness of God. And that has to be like the biggest Part of what forgiveness, not forgiving does, unforgiveness does to us, we can't receive God's forgiveness if we're unwilling to give it. But this is also what it does. It leads to a bitterness of the heart that erodes our soul. It deteriorates your physical body and it robs you of joy and the contentment that you're seeking. In a really comprehensive way, unforgiveness destroys your life mentally, Emotionally, physically, 
and spiritually. It destroys us. And what's interesting is not only does Scripture teach us of this, but so does science. You know, we're learning a lot now about how unforgiveness and harboring resentment and bitterness and what this actually does physically and emotionally to your body. That a lot of the the things that we see that are very prevalent in our society today, like anxiety and depression and some of these other uh, elements that we see pop up, you know, the ones that when you're watching TV, there's like a thousand commercials for them. You know, and the list of side effects is crazier than what you had to begin with. But we've created all this need for these pharmaceuticals because people's bodies, their lives emotionally are deteriorating from the inside out. And, there's, and the reason is why is simple. It's unforgiveness. It's the bitterness and resentment that we hold. And that's why everybody's so mad all the time. That's why we live in such an awful society where everyone's just mad, Right? You're mad at you because you don't think the way they do, and I'm mad at you because you don't think the way that I do, and we're mad because these people think that way. And the whole world's gotten so upside down and so backwards that we can't ever see through the differences that it's just the differences that lead us. And that leads to bitterness and resentment. And we're also in the political season, and that causes a lot of resentment and bitterness. You see certain bumper stickers on someone's car, you might think about rear-ending them. I'm not going to say which ones, because somebody, somebody in here might be wearing a t-shirt for that candidate. We will pray for you with some. We all have our one in mind, right? Mine rhymes with Bernie. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Yes, it, no, I'm not kidding. That's true. Um, <laughs> but our differences, What? They cause this, right? Anger, resentment, strife. We see all these things start stacking up against us. And what all this stuff does internally into us is emotionally depletes us and robs us of our joy, our contentment, and our spiritual health and vitality because we have so much bitterness because we're so mad at everybody because everybody's done something wrong to you, right? Your mom, your dad, your, your, your brother, your sister, your kindergarten teacher, um, you know, the person from chemistry class, the guy who works in the cubicle next to you, uh, the HR person, accounting. For a lot of us, it's accounting. Sorry, Jim, if you're in here, and Susan, you guys are awesome. Appreciate you guys, the accounting world. Woohoo! We need guys like you. But for those of us whose brains aren't calculators, we go, I don't understand what you're saying. But we have all this And it leads us to a point that we have to understand that we have to forgive in order to be healthy. And look, here it is in Hebrews, not only scientifically, but here it is in Hebrews, chapter number 12. It says this, See to it that no one, none of you, fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That's pretty pointing right there. That says it all. See to it that not even a root of bitterness springs up in you because it, tr- it causes trouble, which we all know that's true. But many become defiled. You become sick. You become 
Here's what defiled really means. You become a liability. And all of this springs out of unforgiveness. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey with God this morning, where you're at in your journey in life. There is one thing that we all have in common this morning. And there's one common place that we probably need to exercise some forgiveness in our lives. And we all have it. It's called relatives. I know some of them are here. It's okay. Just smile and say, not you. Right? All of us have those issues in our families where there's something that's happened that we hold on to that we harbor. In the church family, someone disagreed with you or they didn't, you didn't like the color they chose for the carpet. Causes a divide, it causes resentment, a little root of bitterness. And you see, the Bible also talks about that we should, we should maintain the gardens of our minds. Because if we allow these things to spring up, the Bible says that we're supposed to take every thought and imagination into captivity that leads itself against the nature of God. Because if we don't, it builds strongholds in our minds. In areas and people and relationships that we had, this is how relationships can erode to the fact that something so inconsistent, you know, something so small. You ever know those stories? And you hear and you're like, wow, what happened with this family? And you're like, oh, it's because so-and-so. And you're like, and what else happened? And you're like, well, that's pretty much the whole story. And then it just sort of grew from there. That's how this stuff starts. Because we have to take every thought and imagination into captivity and bring it under the authority of God's word. Because if we don't, we become defiled. Bitterness creates havoc in your life, and it is poisonous. And it will ultimately destroy you and all of your relationships. Why do we struggle with forgiveness? You ask. The pain is too deep. You want things made right. You want vengeance. Arrogance and self-righteousness. I'm better than that, and that shouldn't have happened to me, and you should be repaid for what you did to me. And I think for a lot of us, this is the biggest one. We want to remain a victim. For so many of us, something happened in your life, and maybe it was really, really bad. And we live in a world where really bad things happen to people. But the thing that so many of us do is we, we write the identity of our lives as victim. I am a victim of this. And that whole sentiment and that whole uh, thought process then rules and governs the trajectory and the destination of your life. Because I am identified as a victim of this. And that identity then rules us and motivates us and moves us rather than allowing forgiveness and allowing God to do what he wants to do in you. Because we remain the victim. 
So-and-so did this to me. My husband did this to me. My wife did this to me. My parents did this to me. My kids did this to me. Whatever it is, we, we wear that label. And whenever we feel vulnerable or whenever we feel challenged or whenever we need to step out and to do something bigger, God calls us to another point in place. We can so easily pull that card out and lay it down and say, you don't understand, I'm a victim. And then everyone, oh, that's so terrible. That's so terrible. And it may be so terrible. And I guarantee you the hurt is real and the pain is real. And a lot of times that doesn't ever go away. But the fact is, is that you cannot live your life the way God created you to live if you live with the victim card written over your life for the rest of your life. Because God says that behold that you are a new creation, that the old things have passed away, and that behold, all things become new. And what we have to do is we, stop, we have to stop living in the past and stop living in the identity of the sin and the things that happened against us. And we have to start walking towards the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And the only way to do that is to forgive. Is to forgive. And it's like this story. Someone told me, not long ago, and I thought it was really good. And I'm going to use, I'm probably going to mess up the analogy because I only heard it once, but I liked it. But this little kids that were playing on the playground. And one kid accidentally knocked the one kid off and broke his arm. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I broke your arm. The kid's like, it's okay, I forgive you. The thing is, his arm was still broken. His arm still hurt. His arm still had to heal. And that pain and that suffering that goes along with it doesn't go away just because you're forgiven. There's still this process that has to go through. And sometimes after the bone's healed, you, you look like my pinky. My second college basketball game I played in, I got my pinky stuck in the net. And I went down and my pinky stayed up momentarily and then it did this and I ran off the court and I was like I think I did something my hand hurts and everyone went oh you did (laughs) and it hurt so bad and our trainer said no worries I got it it's just dislocated okay I bit the towel and held my hand out and he grabbed it and crack Well, it turns out that it wasn't just dislocated, that it was broken in two places and two ligament tears. So now my pinky looks like that at resting. Thank you, trainer. But you see, every time I look down at my pinky and someone goes, dude, what's wrong with your hand? And I go, oh, it hurts all over again. I can feel that pain just like I just happened. I'm like, oh, you have no idea how bad that hurt. And sometimes when it gets really humid outside or it's going to rain or the barometric pressure changes, not only in my knees do I feel it, but in my pinky I feel it. The other day we were having a garage sale and my wife's like, it's going to rain. And I'm like, not yet it's not. <laughs> She's like, how do you know? You didn't even check the weather channel. I'm like, I don't need the weather channel. I'm like, I got a broken pinky. And I'm like, I can give you one hour's notice of when it's going to rain. And about an hour and a half later, I told her, I said, it's going to rain soon. And sure enough, it rained. But see, 
all of that is because something, I went through pain. I went through something that hurt, something that was broken, something that had to be healed. But the thing is, is my finger is still crooked. It's always going to be crooked. I'm always going to be able to feel it when it rains. And the same thing happens in your life when there's hurt. But I don't walk around my whole life going, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. No. My finger just hurts sometimes. And sometimes it gets stuck in weird positions and I have to kind of wait for it to decide to go back where it needs to go. And our lives are the same way. They're still crooked. They're still broken. They still hurt. Even when they've healed, there's still pain there. But the point is, is that the cause of that pain that we replace the, the want to go up and break their fingers, so to speak, with wishing them well and having forgiveness the same way that God has forgiven us. As we prepare to close this morning, we're going to do communion this morning. We're going to do it a little bit differently. Because family dynamics are so hard today as we've been talking about throughout this whole series. We've seen examples of what God's done in some families, but God's still not done with all of us. And I know there's areas in my life, things that I need to, I need to, to, to pluck out those roots of bitterness and to, and to pluck out in my mind and in my heart those things that are going to keep me from where God wants me to be because it's hard when we get hurt. It's hard to let go of certain things. And there's family members and there's things. But here's the thing. When we have this unforgiveness and this bitterness in our lives, it keeps us from being unified. And the one thing that the Bible talks more than about hell, more than about heaven, more than about giving, more than about healing, it talks about unity more than any of those other subjects. Because unity in our families and unity in the body of the Christ is the one thing that empowers us to do what he's called us to do. But bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness keeps us from being able to be unified. And for some of us this morning in our families, we need to be brought back to a place of unity. We need to, to, to get to a place that we start this process of forgiveness. And for some of us, it's just a reminder like the testimony that we saw this morning, what an awesome thing that God's done in their family. And this morning is an awesome opportunity for them to remember what God has brought them through. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do communion. We have tables set up uh, on the wings on the back here and over here on the side. And after I pray, have you guys all go through the back and go through the lines and get the elements. And then I want you to get together in your family. Whatever your family unit consists of today, it's mom, dad, husband, wife, uh, whatever it is. If you're here by yourself this morning, you're single, uh, get in a group of two or three with other people. And what we're going to do is you guys are going to lead the communion amongst your families and amongst uh, the, the individuals that you're with this morning. Y'all are going to lead it. Y'all are going to pray. And it's going to be a sign this morning, a covenant of forgiveness within our family units, even those that aren't here today that are represented in our, our exterior circle that you need to, 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 to forgive and to move on and to start exercising from a place of unity today. That's what we're going to do today with this communion, is that we're going to use it as an opportunity for what it represents, the, the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus 
in the cup that represents his shed blood that covers the grace that covers all our sins. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. In other words, you do this remembering the covenant that I established with you. And we saw what Jesus said this morning. If we're willing to forgive, then God will in turn forgive us. As we prepare to pray this morning, we'll just, after I say amen, you guys get together with your family, go through the line, and then get wherever you want to get in the, in the room, and I'll, we'll give everybody a few minutes to go through. And if you don't have your family here this morning, don't feel bad. I don't have my family here either, so I'm going to be looking for someone to do this with. But my family, I know, is at home, and I'm going to represent this morning for myself, that between myself and my kids and my extended family, that if there's anything that we need to get out of the way, that we can get out of the way through God's help. Father God, this morning, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. That your word says that while we were still yet sinners, that you sent your son to die so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have life. And God, we thank you for that life. But God, we also know that to be in covenant relationship with you means that we also have to give life to those who have wronged us, for those who have come against us, for those who have trespassed against us. God, this morning we echo that Lord's prayer and we say, forgive us our debts and we forgive those who we have debt against. And God, we thank you, Lord, this morning for the blood, the cup, the bread, your body that was broken for us. God, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we are so thankful this morning that we no longer have to deal. God, that you paid the ultimate price so that we could forgive every time because we are forgiven every time through the mercy and the grace that was afforded to us on the cross. And we thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.